You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The scripture reading this evening comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through chapter 6, verse 2. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of all double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us this evening understand your word, um, that you would uh, allow us to more fully and more clearly uh, know what it means to live in your family and to honor you in everything that we do and say, especially in the way we here in this room interact with one another. Would you Help us um, through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, tonight is a torch night. And so if you are a fourth grader through sixth grader, welcome you to gather over here with the Gozers. They're going to go. Uh, you're going to go talk about God's word and hopefully grow in it. So let's scurry on out. Uh, great, great, great. Um, so good evening, uh, welcome. My name is Kyle Stevens, and I'm a deacon here at Christ Church. Uh, my wife and I, we lead a gospel community in our home, and I'm also the deacon over Collegiate Ministries. So if you have any questions about gospel communities or Collegiate Ministry, I'd love to talk with you after um, after church this evening on how we do that. Uh, if you're new and you're curious if this is a role that I often take, the role of teaching here at the pulpit, the answer to that is no. Um, usually one of our elders, are, actually all four are here this evening, are up here teaching us, but this text proved to be too difficult for them. <laughs> and so um, they've, uh, they've asked me, no, just kidding. Actually, the nature of this text is unique, as, as, you, as you heard read, and uh, they thought it better that a member, um, just a, a normal member of Christ's church, teach it and expound on it. And so it was my joy to serve them and you in that way. And so, like I mentioned a moment ago, my, my main role is working with college students at UNM. And when one of my students uh, heard that I was going to be teaching, he said, oh, cool, Kyle, great, what text are you going to teach on? And 
uh, I said, well, this is the text, and he read it, and I got a couple of texts, and, and they went something like this. Oh, got that alcohol verse in there, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, got that rebuke your elders verse in there, dot, dot, dot. And I sat and thought, and I was like, yeah, uh, got, a, got a few verses in there. You got the elect angels and the double honor. And I must admit, my first reading of this text was not very fun. When Nathan asked me to teach it, I was, I was a bit nervous. And if you're like me, when it was read this evening, maybe some red flags went off in your head. You heard statements like this. Let an elder who rules over you, right? Double honor. Don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Elect angels and so on. When you read a passage like this, that, that's kind of what gets your mind, right? You're like, oh, I need to Google that. I need to find out what that says and where that's from. But uh, it's important that this evening we actually take the time and do the work to understand what Paul was asking Timothy uh, and expecting and seeking to teach him and therefore us. So we have, to, we have to try not to be distracted, right? And if you can remember, a few weeks ago, Nathan led us to think about how we are to act in the family of God. Uh, we are to view each other as family, uh, not, um, not, I guess, really DNA family members, but the reality is that our, our life together is going to transcend our DNA, right? Our DNA is going to rot in the ground and break down, but actually we'll be given new bodies and we'll be worshiping Christ forever together, right? So this family tie is actually, in some ways, more significant uh, than our other family ties. And so in this building, the older men are our fathers and older women are mothers and so on this room is however uh it's 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 we're called to seek and love and care for each other like we're in uh family right but this room so it might be filled with mothers and brothers and sisters but it's not filled with elders right it's not filled with shepherds uh, there might be i don't know 30 mothers 30 fathers 30 40 brothers and sisters but only four pastors right four men um, who have taken it upon themselves to serve us by leading us. Um, and so we're going to seek to understand this text this evening and understand what it means to honor them by answering three questions, okay? So if you're a note taker, this is the time to kind of get it started. I'll try to repeat them so you can keep going. How does an elder rule well? We're going to look at that. That little, that little part right there in, in verse 17 is actually really important. So how does an elder rule well? How do we, as the flock, give elders double honor and why do, the, why do these things matter? Like, why did, why did Paul take this time to write these things to Timothy? So right off the bat, I want to address that we here at Christ Church have both lay elders and paid staff elders. Okay, so some, uh, Ryan and Kyle, uh, they, they work full-time jobs. Um, and then in, uh, in the mornings, in the evenings, on Sundays, they come alongside Nathan and Clint, who are actually employed by the church, by us, uh, to labor for us and on our behalf, okay? So when we speak about pay this evening, we're speaking about Clint and Nathan primarily, but everything else, right? Everything else in this uh, that refers to the elders refers to all four of them, right? They're equal authority, equal respect, equal love and care given to us by them, okay? So I just wanted to kind of give that so we could be on the same page. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's look at verse 17. It reads this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. So our first answer to the first question, how does a labor, uh, an elder rule well, is this, by aspiring to live like, love like, and die like Christ. Okay, live like, love like, and die like Christ. Right away, I want to make it clear, the pastors of this church, they're not CEOs, 
right? They're not managers or bosses chosen based on work performance or their ability to grow this church very quickly, right? They are our brothers in Christ, co-heirs in the kingdom of God, chosen and loved by God, and actually fellow members of this church, right? Their, their leadership is not elevated uh, them above membership in this congregation. They've aspired to serve in this capacity and have been examined and tested and by God's grace, right, have been selected to lead us. They've worked hard to align their lives by the grace of God and through the strength of the Holy Spirit with a life of Christ, seeking to obey him in every area of their life, right? So not perfectly, but persistently, persistently putting sin to death and allowing the person of Jesus Christ to be resurrected in that place. So submission to rule and authority has always been difficult for the world. It was difficult uh, in, in Paul and Timothy's time. That's why we're writing these things. It's been difficult since. It's difficult today. But submission in this family, in this group of people, is a good thing. right? Especially when the men you are submitting to are themselves submitted to Christ and his word. right? And his ruling in their own lives. If you think... Back to Nathan, it was a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 3, he was teaching about the qualification of elders. If you recall, there was a long list of qualifications, right, that described these elders. A person who is qualified um, of the noble task of, seek, of leading the people of God. And the first qualification was he must aspire to that, right? They have to want to be an under-shepherd. For the sake of time, and probably at the risk of oversimplification, I just want to explain what that means, right? That means they must aspire to live like, love like, and die like Jesus for the glory of God and for the good of his people. That, I mean, that's what Nathan boiled it down to, right? Like, they are just men who aspire to lead and then are, are being led themselves by the truth of Christ, and Christ is transforming them. This is the first mark of an elder that rules well. Without a personal, laborious pursuit of Christ-likeness, an elder cannot rule well at all, really, much less rule well and teach us to do the same. They need to know Jesus if they're going to teach us how to know him. Amen? And so now, uh, this call to know Jesus, I know it's not unique to elders, right? It's like, okay, you guys get to know Jesus. We'll come every Sunday, we promise, and, and we'll just make this thing work. That's a, that's a calling on all of our lives, right? But the problem is, not many of us woke up this morning and the first thought we had was, I am created in the image of God, right? I've fallen and broken that image, but by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, he's restoring that image in me. And now today I'm going to live like that's true. I'm going to pursue him and lead others to do the same, right? Like some of us might have woke up like that. If that's you, I'd really like to talk to you. I want to, I want, I got, I want to learn how to do that, right? But the reality is our hearts aren't tuned, right? Correctly and completely. Uh, Clint actually mentioned that with God's. Right? And so, so these men are called um, and are laboring to know Jesus that we might also know Jesus. Okay? And that's the second point. Okay? So let's move on to our second reason for the first question. An elder rules well by laboring and preaching and teaching. One of the fruits of an elder's personal pursuit of Jesus is his ability to uh, understand the scriptures, but not just for himself but to give it away to others, right? Our steady diet of God's word in this church through weekly emails, our liturgy, our Sunday gatherings, the songs we sing, uh, the missions and service programs that we are developing and learning about, all of that is the result of our elders' labor, right? Of them pursuing Jesus and then teaching us how to do the same. Apathy and laziness are the anti-elder, 
Not the Antichrist, don't hear that wrong, right? but the anti-elder. It doesn't go together. You can't have a lazy elder because let's read verse 18. Let's see what it says. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. An elder that rules well works hard and labors, right? Like an ox or like a day laborer, not like a king or a, a prince, right? Not like a CEO or a manager sitting in an office that's kind of delegating the labor, you know, to their, to their employees, right? But they're described as a sturdy ox plowing straight lines in a field. And then when the harvest comes, treading out that grain, right? Another example they use is like a laborer, right? With sweat on his brow, blisters on his hands. This is the picture that the scriptures paint of our elders, right? And so uh, they are in the scriptures and preaching them well, but they're also in our homes, right? And in our lives, teaching us what it means to follow Christ and live for him. That's their labor. And that leads us uh, tonight to our first or our third and final answer to how does an elder rule well? An elder rules well when the fruit of their labor is evident in the people that they serve. Man, a laborer is a pretty terrible laborer if you don't have anything to show for your work. I actually work at UNM, and Skylar and Jeff are working on some buildings there. And every time I walk past it, man, it's a different building. They're putting glass in and doing things, and there is obvious fruit, right, for all those men's labor. Just week in, week out, that building is going up, right? A laborer without anything to show for their work is not a very good laborer. You wouldn't hire them back. Timothy was in Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter to him. And Paul also wrote another letter to actually the church um, uh, in, in Ephesus and all the surrounding churches. And this is what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and then 11 through 13. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul's reminding these churches that each person in every church has been gifted by God to serve, right? To, to pour into the lives of each other. So you, in this congregation, we as a body are gifted, but God has gone a step further and he's gifted each one of us with shepherds and with teachers who are charged to equip us. And the purpose of the equipping of us is that we would again minister to each other well and to the world well. And so there should be fruit. There should be obvious fruit. I, I mean, I can speak because I am you. Uh, there's fruit in my life, right, as a result of our elders. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, but the goal is the maturity of the body of Christ. Um, the scriptures say that our elders are gifts given to us by God to labor on our behalf that we might grow into a mature body and then minister to one another, right? And so their fruit, their labor, I mean, think of our head. Our head is Jesus himself, the person, the perfect God man, right? And God has given us these elders to help build and mature this body to support, I mean, We'll never be worthy, right? But by God's grace, Jesus is making us worthy, and he's using these men to do that, right? So an interesting side note, it's not a major um, in this text, but I did want to minor on it a little bit because I thought it was worth mentioning. Paul quotes both the Old and New Testament in this passage, right? Talking about the oxen and the laborers, 
And he calls them both scripture. Okay, so some of you, I mean, like, we like to think, uh, believing that this is the Bible is a modern invention, a modern idea. Actually, the fact that the Bible you're holding in your laps um, is scripture, and the church's belief of that is as old as the church itself, right? Like, uh, Paul takes it one step further, and in 2 Timothy, he's going to say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, sound familiar? Reproof, we're about to talk about that. Correction, about to talk about that. Training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped. Just talked about that. Every good work. Paul, man, Paul's clear. He's good at making sure he says the same thing over and over again. So my intention in taking so much time on rule well, that's just two words, right? Two words in verse 17 um, of this message um, was to show us why these men are worthy of double honor, right? Meaning, essentially, pay and respect. So that, the mysterious double honor, um, you, can, you can try to think of a lot of different things, but the context really uh, just points straight to this idea that we should pay our elders and we should respect all our elders, right? And we don't give them this respect because of titles, right, or degrees or years of devotion, but because of Jesus, the person Jesus, and because of their love for him, and devotion to him and to us, right? And so these men deserve double honor because in many ways, they've taken on a double role in this congregation, right? We've talked about how all of us are brothers and sisters to each other, are mothers and fathers to each other. And so they are that, right? But more than that, they step into the role of, of shepherds and leaders. And so um, they, they've taken on a double, double role. And James 3.1 says that they will be judged more strictly by God because of their willingness to do that. That's remarkable. All right, let me read Hebrews 13.17. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Did you hear that? I mean, I, the first time I read that, I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of uh, profound. Let me read it again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as, though you will, as, as those who will have to give an account, right? And so these men have willingly stepped in to care for my soul, to care for your soul. Not only that, but they will give an account for the way that they handled it. It was hard for me to think of someone else besides Jesus himself in this life who deserves double honor. When these things are understood about the men who lead us, I believe um, it becomes easier to honor them well. Amen? They seek Jesus. They labor for us and are producing that same fruit of seeking Jesus in us. And they will be judged more strictly on account of us and will be held accountable for us that's a lot. So it's important to note, however, let's, let's kind of shift gear a little bit. It's important to know that double honor is only due to those elders who rule well. Okay, that's, that's here in this text. It's not a blanket statement, right, meant to cover over sins and abuses of power. This is a statement meant to protect God's gift, right, the elders and the teachers, to his church who are ruling according to his will and his word. Okay, this section of 1 Timothy is surrounded by warnings against false teachers and incorrect corporate living. Paul's not writing to protect the status quo of sin and abuse of power, but to bring power under the loving authority of Jesus Christ. He's building a structure against corruption, right? Not to protect it. 
So Paul makes it clear that all abuses of power should be dealt with publicly so that all elders and the congregation would operate under a healthy fear of sin and its repercussions. And God calls us now, and this is where we're going to go, the congregation under the elders now to labor on their behalf, right? To that end. And he calls us to do that in three distinct ways. So let's look at our second, our second question. How do we as the flock give elders double honor? And I think there's three things here that, that Paul says. The first one is fair pay. Next one is fair trials. And the third is fair treatment. So I'm sure the elders would love me to conclude that double honor means double pay. I do not think that's what this text means. I actually think it means we should start paying the deacons. And so if we could just <laughs> get that going. No, just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. Paul was unique. Okay, we know that for a lot of reasons. Paul was a unique person. But especially in the fact that he often worked and didn't take payment for churches. Right? He, he refused it. Um, he often earned his own money uh, by crafting tents um, or was blessed by other congregations in other cities who would pay for his ministry in, in the city he was at, right? So Paul's vision was that the entire world would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel, simply put. God is real. He created the world and he has authority over it. The world has rebelled against him and has sinned and that has brought separation. We can't be with him. But by his grace, in his love, he sent his son to die in our place, to take the punishment for the sins that we've committed. And he has opened access to his kingdom for anybody who would repent of their sins and place their faith wholly on the person, Jesus Christ. Okay, praise him, amen? That's the gospel. That's what all of this is surrounded by, informed by, in and through, is that this truth is real, right? And Paul was traveling around the world uh, his world of his day sharing this the Holy Spirit was pushing him to places that the gospel had never been preached right but there were other men doing similar things as there are today right people teaching religious gathering people uh, trying to get their money maybe casting spells and doing different things in order to separate himself from that Paul also separated himself from pay what a noble thing what a God-honoring thing right but here in this text, Paul's making a case for why pastors should be paid fairly, right, for the labor that they do. Paul knew that when he left the church, the work was not finished. That's why, actually, Timothy is receiving this letter, right, that we've been going through. Uh, we feed oxen that labor to bring us flour for our bread, right? We pay men and women who provide us services that keep our societies going and our economies growing. Why will we not gladly gladly pay the men who labor for the bread of our souls, right? Why would we not gladly pay the men who, who lead and guide the societies of our churches, right? Who labor here uh, for God's people. I praise God. I mean, this is, it's honestly not, it's really a non-issue, right? I praise God for this congregation that we're a part of, that we actually do this well, not seeking to make our pastors and their families the poor among us, Right? but freeing them from worry so they can labor and teach us how to love and serve the poor who are actually among us, right? Poor in spirit who don't know Christ and poor in material things who need love and care. And we're working to remedy that in this church, amen? So part-time pastors, like this isn't like a knock on them. It's actually the opposite, that work two jobs, both to feed their families and to feed their flocks, are blessed men who, who are worthy of honor, right? And hopefully that honor that their congregation 
uh, gives them should lead their congregations to, to free them from their worldly labor so they can focus on their heavenly labor for the glory of Jesus and the good of his bride. So fair pay, though important, is not the only way we honor our pastors. Our second is through fair trials. So verse 19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this verse can be confusing and even alarming at first um, if you don't understand it in his Old Testament context, right? It's like, why do they get special treatment? Why do they get, like, only one witness isn't enough for them? But the reality is that's, that, was a, that was a rule for everybody, right? This was, a, this was for everyone. Um, this Old Testament practice was to be extended to everyone and was meant to protect the innocent, rich, poor, leaders or not, from an unfair trial. Let me read the scripture. It's in Deuteronomy, it's chapter 19, verse 15. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So if it's a well-understood thought, if this is something people knew, then why did Paul write this and tell us to apply it to our elders? Like, why did he even mention it? The reality is public figures are always scrutinized, right? You know, the only reason TMZ, tabloids, Twitter, I don't know why they all start with T, um, it's, I don't know. Uh, the only reason those things and those outlets exist, right, is because we love gossip, right? We love, we love to judge and we love to believe the worst of people, even before we have the facts. You've never read about me on Twitter. I hope you never will, right? But like people who are elevated, who are celebrities, you hear about them all the time. And, and a mantra of our day is, is guilty until proven innocent, right? And the sad thing is, when the facts come out that the person may have been innocent, who cares? That's not a good story, right? Let's move on to the next one. People who get bulldozed by gossip often do not recover their image, right? Even after the facts come out. Instead of celebrating justice, we move on to the next scandal. Like it or not, our pastors are like the celebrities among us, right? They are at the forefront and are held under highest scrutiny, not just them, but their wives and their children as well. Far be it from us to accuse them of something that we're not sure is true. Let's put gossip and slander far from us and let us be children of the truth. If you hear something about an elder, make sure it's backed by facts. You want to know the best way to do that? Go to your elder. Talk to them. Say, I've heard that this is true. Is this true? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? What are next steps? What needs to be done? Is this real? Right? We as followers of Jesus, we should love the light. We're not afraid of confrontation. We shouldn't be. We long for truth. And we should be willing to do the difficult work that it takes to discover truth. Let's be careful about the accusations we make. And let's, even, let's be even more careful about the accusations we hear. Right? Just kind of traveling through the grapevine. So there's not a gag rule, and that's important to remember that. Paul's not writing a gag rule. He's actually doing the opposite. If sin is clear, if a wrong has been committed and the evidence is clear, we're commanded by God's word to bring a charge against our elders. Right? Our elders are not cowboys. And though we live in New Mexico, right, this church is not the Wild West. Our elders are children of God. Right? They're children of God, and this is the family of God. 
God has given us the spirit to live in us and convict us. He's given us his word, as we just read, to bring clarity for teaching and rebuke, his son to rule over us. And he's given us each other, right, to walk alongside us and to love and to care for us. God disciplines those he loves. And he calls his people to the light. He delights in justice and truth and loves order. He forsakes chaos. It's one of our blessed privileges as the people of God to hold each other accountable in love for the sake of the glory of God and the good of his people. Elders are no exemption from this. They're not perfect, but they're no exemption. We should be careful to love them enough to accuse them only of sins they've committed. Which leads us to the third way we serve our elders. Okay? Fair, fair trials leads to fair treatment. Um, and that's our third way. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Rebuke is love, right? Calling out sin is care and it's kindness. To ignore these things is to ignore the word of God and is to not love your brother, your sister. We must remember that this letter is full of instruction, right? To counteract false teachers and bad elders who are abusing their power and adding to the gospel rules of eating and drinking or abstaining from marriage and so on. There were serious problems here in this church and, and Paul is writing to remind Timothy that serious problems take serious answers. Like you have to be serious about it. We're commanded to confront each other and to speak the truth in love. We read earlier how God's word is useful for correction and rebuke. We should believe that truth and use it to encourage each other and call each other's sin out. If you're familiar with Matthew 18, we talked about that a few times here at Christ Church, right? The last two points are, are actually pretty normal to you, right? Like, yeah, if your brother sins against you, go to him, right? Go to her directly and seek reconciliation. And if that doesn't work, take some people with you and pray and plead with them that they would repent. And if that doesn't work, bring them before the church, right? All in hopes of reconciliation. Paul commands us to do this with our elders as well. They get no special treatment. They have no license to sin. And more than that, they just like everyone else, they need people to help them walk with Jesus and obey his word. They're not perfect. And it's good for us to be reminded of that. Like our elders are not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Nathan reminded us of that a few weeks back. Uh, they do need rebuke. They do need help. Because of their status, it's easy to ignore some sins and kind of belittle them. Like, oh, I don't need to talk to them about that. And it's easy to blow other sins way out of proportion and just walk up to them. I cannot believe you did that. This can't be how we treat our elders. We should love them enough to call them out when they're wrong in hopes that they would repent and, at the, at, and that that process as a whole would bring about holy fear for them and for other elders and for the congregation as a whole, reminding us that the authority ultimately is God's, right? Like, I mean, our elders have authority and we are called to submit to them, but the, the only authority they have that's legitimate is given to them, right? It's given to them. We must remember that sin is against a cosmic authority, right? And it is a cosmic problem with a cosmic audience. Paul reminds Timothy 
that God and Jesus and the elect angels are calling us to give no special favor even to our elders, the perfect, righteous judge of the universe and his chosen jury sees everything. We should take that into account and give no one special treatment. And so for, for the curious in here, a short word on the elect angels before we move on. So as not to disappoint. It's not entirely clear, honestly, what is meant by the term elect angels. Okay, it's clear, and I just made the point. It's clear what the point is, right? It's that to shine light that, that there's a righteous audience, a cosmic audience watching the church, right? But the addition of the elect angels is a bit perplexing. Paul has reminded Timothy God's watching in a few different places, but this is the only time he brings the angels into the audience. And so there's a few theories that exist to explain why. Some people believe it to be kind of the, the angels that are over the churches in Revelation. You may have read about that, the angels that are over the churches. Other people believe it just to be angels, you know, just God's uh, angels who carry out God's will and are doing his work. Others believe uh, that it is the angels who did not sin against God, right, who did not fall away with Satan. I don't know what Paul intended for sure, but honestly, the last explanation seems to fit the context the best. Paul is reminding Timothy that not everyone who seems to worship and follow God really does, right? Even angels fell away. We must be careful and not allow wolves to remain hidden in sheep's clothing. And so let's look at verse 22 and 24 and 25, and this is how he speaks to that. Don't be hasty on the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. The sins of some people, is it conspicuous? It's conspicuous. I've been reading that wrong all week. Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul here reminds Timothy to be careful whom he appoints as elders, right? You can't always see sins right away. You look at the fruit of the tree to kind of determine the tree, but in reality, sometimes that means you have to wait till spring, sometimes summer, sometimes late into the fall to see if the fruit of the tree is healthy. The purpose of these verses is to warn us not to make decisions too quickly on who we appoint and to keep those who we do appoint on close watch because sins that are hidden have their way of coming out. Praise God. Don't you love that God loves the light? Don't you love that he hates your sin? Don't you love that he's called you out of it? Sometimes we think it would be a tragedy if my sin was exposed, a tragedy if the sins of my elders would expose. That is, that is so far from God's heart and mind. God longs to expose sin, not, not to embarrass you or to hurt you, but to heal you, to bring peace right, to bring peace to us individually and to our congregation as a whole, right? And so when sin comes out, we should be thankful and grateful and we should lead each other to repent and to allow Christ to be resurrected in that place. Not to be totally negative, right, Paul ends by reminding Timothy that not only bad works work this way, good works are the same, right? Sometimes it takes time to see the good that is in somebody and the work that the Spirit is doing in them. So he's telling them not to be hasty, and that brings us to our third and final point this evening. Why do these things matter? Some of you are up there thinking, little Baptist boy here skipped the verse on alcohol. And he ignored the last two talking about servants and masters. I am a little Baptist boy. But I did not skip these verses. I'm going to talk about them right now, okay? Actually, I saved them now because, uh, for this moment because I think in them is the clearest message 
um, of why the things we have been discussing this even this evening matter. Right? They matter because the pure and unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ matters. Why is it necessary that elders rule well? Because when they don't, the name of Jesus is defamed. When they don't rule well, Jesus' sons and daughters are wounded, they're starved, they're confused. When they don't rule well, the church begins to look and act just like the world, ruining its effectiveness to glorify God, right, and to reach the lost and dying world with the gospel. It just ruins it. Why is it necessary that we as a congregation give our elders double honor? Because when we don't, they can't remain in full-time ministry, laboring to know the gospel and give it away freely. When we don't, we neglect to love and care for the gift that God has given his bride to lead us and teach us, to care for us and equip us. When we don't allow, when we don't, we allow our pastors to be destroyed by sin and to destroy the name of the one they set out to worship in the first place. It's all over the news. Have you read recently about a pastor who's been destroyed by sin? Where was, where was his congregation? Where were the loving rebukes and the kindness and the care to bring him back? It's terrible. Right? So Paul was not telling Timothy to drink wine, to teach us today that drinking alcohol is good. Right? Little Baptist boy. Or, here's the other side, to teach us that drinking alcohol was bad, right? That's not his point. Paul told Timothy to drink wine so nothing might be added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's read it. Verse 22 and verse 23 say, Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So honestly, these verses seem out of place. First couple times I read it, I was like, why is Paul putting medical advice here? Why didn't he save that for the end or maybe a different letter altogether? Uh, it was common practice that Jews and Gentiles both drank wine as a sort of medicine for different ailments in this, in this time. It seems likely that, that Timothy was intentionally drinking only water. Right? Avoiding wine altogether, that's, that's what the reading uh, alludes to. The reality is that Paul was not giving medical advice, but spiritual advice. In verse 22, Paul calls him to not participate in the sins of others, but to keep himself pure. And then he encourages him to abandon his practice of abstaining from drinking wine. Timothy was denying himself medicine right, like modern of the time medicine to appease false teachers and elders who thought it important to abstain. Timothy was participating in their sin by adding to the gospel. May it never be. He needed to purify himself by relying on the pure teaching of Christ and Christ crucified alone for the salvation of our souls. The elders should have known this. And should have been teaching this. Timothy and the rest of the believers in the church should have known this and rebuked these elders, these men, for the purity of the gospel and for the purity of the church. It is the blood of Jesus that saves. Nothing is to be added to that. The truth and how we as a church handle it matters. So as we close, let's talk uh, and look at Paul's advice for bond servants to regard their masters with all honor and sound, uh, all honor, does that sound familiar? What is the reason given for this honor? Let's read. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, 
so the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these, urge these things. We must be passionate about the glory of God in all that we do. Christ died to save us from our sins. He was raised to give us new life. He has gifted us to he has gifted us to serve and love one another like he served and loved us. Our elders are called to die to themselves and serve us like Jesus did. We're called to respond to that with submission and trust and care. The world it seeks to take advantage of grace like this servant Right? We're brothers. We're, we're in the, I don't have to work hard. Right? They want to usurp power and get around it. Uh, but, but the world uh, is, well, the church isn't the world. Right? We should seek to build each other up, submitting to our leaders and submitting to Jesus because we care about the name of Christ. We work hard in this family, not to earn our salvation, right? not to gain or add something to Jesus, but to show the world the worth of the one that we have been saved to. We care about his bride. We'd do anything to represent him well. Amen? Man, the pure and precious, 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 almost done. Almost, almost done. Message of Jesus Christ, it matters. Our love for God and his name should transcend our love for ourself and our comfort. The people around us should look at the church to see why authority and submission are beautiful things. They should look at us and see the beautiful, the, just the beautiful Christ. They should see our love for Jesus and his work on the cross as a truth worthy to give their lives to. They should see our love for each other even in rebuke and long to have what we have. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We're grateful that you've been so kind one, not to destroy us in our sin, but to come yourself and save us from it. And not just to do that, but you've given us a family, a body that keeps us true to it. You've given us elders, teachers to guide us and to lead us. You've given us each other that we might rebuke in love and kindness, that we might love and serve, that we might provide for the needs of. Lord, you've just been so generous. Your generosity is just all over this passage. And I pray that this evening as we ponder your truths and as we ponder your loves, uh, the name of Jesus Christ would be elevated in our hearts and in our minds. God, would you make it easy for us to submit? Would you make it easy for our elders to love you and to follow you and to pursue you with all their hearts and to lead us to do the same? Would you make it easy for the world to see what's going on and for them to respond to the gospel of Christ and repent? God, we pray all these things for the glory of your name, for the sake of your people. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.